You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay, good afternoon. So as we mentioned today, we're going to talk about dreams. So talking about dreams, there's a uh, kid tells his mom, you know, I dreamed last night that dad is buying me a bicycle and you're taking me on a trip to Israel. So his mom tells the kid, says, nah, don't believe your dreams. They say anything that happens in your dreams, the opposite happens. So the kid said, if the opposite happens, that's great. So you'll be taking me to Israel and dad's buying me the bicycle. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about dreams. You know, when you talk about dreams, if you ask people about dreams, there are two kinds of people that are that look at dreams. There are some people that say about dreams, eh, that it's a prophecy, that you don't know what's sending you messages and things of that nature. And then there are people that look at dreams and tell you, dreams is a bunch of nonsense. It's all about what you think about by day, you dream about by night, and therefore uh, there's nothing to, kick, you know, to worry about and don't even think about it and just eat better before you go to sleep and read a good book and everything will be all right. And this is what we're going to talk about today is what does Judaism tell us about dreams? Does Judaism believe in dreams, that it's something from heaven, and it's a message that's coming to you? Or is Judaism just basic, Or does Judaism tell us that dreams is, you know, you ate something a little too sharp before you went to bed, the dinner was not that great, you read a terrible novel, just read better books and everything would be all right. Now, I have to say that we did speak about the concept of dreams in our JLI course last year, so this is a little bit of a spit on that as well, but we are going to talk about it and how it's referenced in this week's Torah reading. And we're going to look at it from the story of Joseph in this week's Torah reading, because in this week's Torah reading there's a story about dreams. Next week's Torah reading there's a story about dreams. So we're going to try to find out if we can glean from the story of the Torah reading about the dreams to be able to better understand how, what dreams mean in our life and what they really are all about. So let's understand the story of Joseph a little bit, and then let's go from there and take it from there. If we look at this week's Torah reading, the story of Joseph and his brothers, besides for all the questions that we have about Joseph and the antagonism of his brothers, the animosity that existed between him and his brothers, but one of the questions that one can see, and an obvious question that many ask, is if you look at the situation that's happening here, Joseph and his brothers are not getting along, and that's obvious to everybody. But what does Joseph do? He goes and antagonizes them by saying, look at the dream that I have. Not only that, even after he has the first dream, and he sees they're not getting along, and he sees they're upset about what he had in the first dream, he goes again and says what a second dream is. What's he trying to do here? Push them over the edge, which ultimately he did eventually. And the question is that we see that Joseph first tells them a dream, that in his dream he sees the bundles of wheat and all the bundles are standing around and he is standing in the middle, his bundle standing in the middle and all the bushels bent to his. Okay. And they yell at him, what do you think, you going to be our king? Then the same thing happens, repeats itself again. He's standing in the middle, the sun, the moon, and love and stars bow down to him. What's he trying to do with one dream after another dream and continuing to pick on his brothers and showing that he's going to be their ruler? Look at Joseph. If he believes, and the question can be, is obvious. What was Joseph's motive by telling them the dreams? If Joseph believed in the dreams, and he saw this as a message from heaven that he's going to be their ruler, what's his point in telling them? Ha ha, to be able to tell them, look, I'm going to be in charge of you, you better be nice to me. What was he telling them? And if he didn't believe in dreams, and it's just of some, stop, uh, some wild imagination that he's having, or a bad, dream, bad book he's reading, whatever it may be, why even bring it to the family? 
Why even tell it to your parents? Just move on. What's your point of it? And we see how this is discussed in the many commentaries that are brought in the Torah reading. And in this week's Torah reading, let's take a little glimpse into the Torah reading of what it says. And the Torah reading begins this week by telling us that Yisrael, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his other sons. And the the Torah continues to say, because he was born to him in an old age, and he made for him a special coat. Some explain that not only was he born to him in old age, but also he looked exactly like him. The special coat was not only a special coat that he made, a physical special coat, but he treated him differently. He learned with him. He taught him the things that he learned in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver. Because of that, the brothers saw that their father likes him more than anybody else, which caused them to create a certain level of animosity and jealousy, and they were hating each other, and they could not speak in peace. And Joseph has another dream, and he tells it to his brothers, and they continue to hate him. And he has another dream. He tells it to his father. His father protects, meaning what he saw, and at the same time, his brothers continue to be jealous of him. The Barbanel, a Spanish great scholar, asks the following question. How is it possible that Joseph, being the brilliant person who he was, starts to tell his dreams to his brothers? If you see that your brothers are not getting along with you, you see your brothers hate you, why are you going and stacking them, is the wording in the she would say, poking them in the eyes, telling them a story that you know is going to enrage them? What was the point of it? No understandable human being no person with a little two cents in his mind will understand to do so, even to your greatest enemies, or even to your best friends, if you know it's going to annoy them. Why then did Joseph feel the need to be able to poke his brothers by keep on telling him the dreams that knew that would arrange them? Barbara asks an obvious question. If you look a little deeper into the story, it even makes us wonder even more so. Jacob was no innocent bystander here as well, seemingly. Jacob, on one hand, listens to the dream, and he says, ah, nonsense, how is it even possible, your mother's not alive, how is she going to come to you in Egypt? He dismisses the dream. But on the other hand, he marks down the date that Joseph says it's going to happen. He writes down quietly in his own little journal of the dream that Joseph says. That means that Jacob himself seemingly seems torn with what this dream is all about. Does Jacob believe in the dream or does he not believe in the dream? On one hand, he believes in the dream because he's writing down the date of the dream of what was said in the dream. On the other hand, he dismisses the dream and he says, what, your mother's not alive, she can't come anyway. So what is Jacob's involvement in all this? Does he see this dream as nonsense or does he see this dream as something substantial? There are many different times that we find about dreams, but just an interesting uh, tidbit here. We are coming from the holiday of the 19th of Kislev that we celebrated on Shabbos. And there's actually a response book, which is called Shailus Tshuvas Minishamayim, Responses That I Got From Heaven. One of the great Baliat Toysus, the Toysus were the French commentators on the Talmud that lived in the about 11th or 12th century. And they, was one of them, his name was Rabbi Yaakov Marvis, and he would write uh, questions and in his dream to be able to get an answer on it, and he would write this down in a book. And one of the things that he documented in his book was that he was told that on the 19th of Kislev, it's going to be a special occasion. And many years, of course, later, in Tufkov Nuntes, in 1759, I think the exact date is, is the time when the first Chabad Rebbe was released from prison on the 19th of Kislev. But that's just a little side tidbit on the side.
But the bottom line is that our question is, what are dreams all about? Do dreams mean something or are dreams meaningless? This question is even more poignant when we look at who the personality of who Joseph was. Joseph, we know, was not some average individual. He was not a person who just took things for granted. He also wasn't an impulsive and a person who just did things because he got excited, because he was shallow. He really adept him. He was a person who was really concerned about what he did and what he did and when, how he behaved. To the extent he is the only individual in the entire Tanakh, in the entire Bible, who is called Joseph the Tzaddik, the righteous. Abraham is called Abraham our father. Yitzchak is Yitzchak our father. Yaakov our father. Moshe our teacher. Aaron the priest. Joseph is called Yosef HaTzadik, the righteous. That means he was not an impulsive individual. Everything he did was character. Everything was personified with a point and a reason of why he did it. So how much more so, the question even becomes, how is it possible that such an individual of such great stature goes along and starts telling people about his dreams? Did his dreams, were they meaningful or meaningless? Even more so, we're looking at this person as Yosef, who was a person who was able to control and see. And he was a person who went through a lot of trials and tribulations in his life. And every single one of them, he was able to overcome and come out stronger than he was before. Just a little example that we know of Joseph was when he, after he was sold by his brothers and was then sold down to Egypt, away from his family, he was sold to a fellow by the name of Potiphar, Potiphar put him in charge and was being very successful until the wife of Potiphar became very jealous of him as discussed at the end of this week's Torah reading. And at this point, when Potiphar's wife started making advances and seducing herself towards Joseph, Joseph was caught with a dilemma. What does he do? How does he approach it? And over here is what we call maybe cognitive dissonance, where Joseph was like torn back and forth. Do I or don't I? Do I or don't I? How do I approach? How do I respond to the seduction and to the approaching and to the acknowledgement of Potiphar's wife? You will find something very interesting in the Torah. That the Torah is so exact, not only in its verses, not only in its ver words and vowels, but even at times from the actual cantillation that is on the words, we can understand and appreciate what the Torah is telling us. And only four times in the Torah is there a cantillation which is called a shalshelos. A shalshelos is a cantillation which is a very long one. It's like a zigzag that you see on top of the word. And it goes, ah, and that's a, and if you think of the word, what's a zigzag? It goes forward and backward, forward and backward. And almost every time that that shalshelos is used is because it's an expression of the one individual that it's referring to is confused, it's torn. It's going back and forth, back and forth. The first time it's used is when Lot was running away from Sodom. And they were hesitant about leaving Sodom. You can see why were they hesitant. This is where they lived. Was the place really going to be destroyed? Where are they going to go to next? Where are they going to live their life? They were in a place of question. The next time it's used is when Eliezer is waiting and looking for a wife for Yitzchak. And he's standing by the well, hoping that a girl would come. He doesn't know, will I be able to accomplish my mission? I wanted my daughter should be for Yitzchak, but over here I was told not. He's confused, he has that dissonance, he's not sure which way to go, there or back. And then again in this week's Torah reading, where over here Yosef is placed with the challenge of the seduction of the wife of Potiphar. And he doesn't know, should I oblige, should I not oblige? Think about it. Over here we're talking about Yosef, comes to the home 
of the wife of Potiphar. And at this point, Yosef, who was he? He was a person who was an illegal immigrant, if you want to call it. He had no family. If he would be killed, tortured, nobody would know about it. There were no cell phones, there was no WhatsApp, there was no connection that he had with his family. They got rid of him, they sold him, he was down in Egypt, he had nothing to do with his family for the past few years. If this woman would now go destroy his life, there would be nobody would know. And at the same time, if he would acquiesce to what this woman's requests are, he can be on top of his game, on top of his world. He can be as, whatever he knows, he'll be able to, uh, be able to enjoy being, living in the land of Egypt, all the physical pleasures and materialistic things that can be there. So you can understand the dissonance that Joseph had. What should he do? Why shouldn't he give in to his physical nature what it wanted from the wife of Potiphar? And in fact, the Talmud tells us that Yosef was about to give in. That at that day when he walked into the home and she was seducing Yosef, Yosef was ready to capitulate. He was ready to give in. But all of a sudden, he saw an image of his father. That image of his father gave him the strength, the impetus, the ability that he should be able to stand back, withhold his evil temptation, and tell the wife of Petiphar, no, I will not acquiesce. I will not be with you. And he runs out of the house while she's holding his shirt. And because of that, the libel is made against him and he's thrown into prison. What gave Joseph that ability? that he should be able to overcome something which nature would tell you, there's nothing wrong with what he would have done. Nature would say, give in. What does he have to lose? And on the contrary, he did have to lose by not giving it. What gave Joseph the strength? And you say what gave Joseph the strength was the fact that he saw as the vision of his father. But at the same time, what did that have to do? If you look, if Joseph was a person who had such strength that he was able to stand up against the wife of Potiphar, when there was only a lose for him, when he could have walked out great out of this thing, we know that Joseph was not a person that just did things spontaneous. So this begs the question, then why is he sharing the dreams with his brothers if they're just going to antagonize him? Didn't he see the repercussions? Didn't he see what's going to come from it? He's not a person who just does things haphazardly. He's not a person who just does things because that's the way he feels. He's not an emotional person who allows his emotions to get the best of him and just say what he wants. Because we see he's a person who's very in control of his emotions. He's very in control of what's going to happen. So why then would he go ahead and talk about his brothers. So let's talk about the relationship that Joseph had with his brothers. We know that Joseph used to bring um, words, the words of the Torah, he used to bring words to his father about his brothers. We know that those words that he would bring were not always positive. Though he had in mind to do very positive things, but they were not necessarily positive. The difference we see, because if you look at the words that the Torah says, it says he brought the words while in contrast by the spies it says, and they took out the words. Meaning by the spies they took the words out of contents and created lies, while Joseph was saying the truth. While we may not want to hear the truth, while the truth may hurt, because the very fact that he told it to his father, but his intentions were true. His intentions were godly. His intentions were to be able to sustain them in doing the right thing. May he, he may have not done it in the right way, but his intentions were in the right place. So let's to understand where Joseph was coming from. We have to go look, dig a little deeper 
into the idea of dreams according to Jewish thought. And by understanding what dreams are all about in Jewish thought, we can understand where Joseph is coming from. And as we mentioned at the beginning of our class, that there's two schools of thought in the world about dreams. Dreams are nonsense, dreams are true. In Judaism, we find a similar diversion of what dreams are all about. On one hand, we see in many different sources that dreams are a, po- a moment of prophecy for an individual. That when God wants to give over an important message to somebody, it is done through a dream. It is brought in the book of Job. God came to him in, a dream, in, in dreams and visions at night. God reveals to the ear of humans. That means, according to some people, that this what this means is that God shows people how they should behave in a dream. A dream might be a time where a person comes to uh, God comes to a person that this is their opportunity for them to correct or do what's right, if they may have done doing something wrong. We find, interestingly enough, in the book of Genesis, a few times where dreams were used. Avimelech, for example, who was a non-Jewish king, God came to him in a dream and said, "Return Sarah and ask Abraham to pray for you." God came to a dream in Jacob in the dream of the ladders and the angels going up and down telling him that he guarantees him a place in the land of Israel. The dreams of Joseph, the dreams of Pharaoh, and next week's our reading. Not only that, we find in many different places where a person, as we mentioned before, there was the scholar of the Baliatosphus of the French scholars who asked questions in a dream and they were responded to of how they should act accordingly about the dreams. So we see from one hand that dreams has a very big validity. It is used and channeled in many different places to help people and get a deeper understanding of their subconscious and spirituality. But on the other hand, we find complete opposite in many sages' discussions about dreams. That, for example, that a dream just comes from the intellect and emotions of a person, but there is actually no prophecy, has nothing to do with anything spiritual. To the extent that Zechariah talks says the terminology, Dreams speak falsely. So which one is it? Are dreams something of truth or are dreams nonsense? The Talmud tells us as well that when a person is in a dream, they only show him things that he's thinking about in his heart. And for that reason, it is impossible to dream about something that's impossible. For example, you will never dream about an elephant fitting through the eye of a needle, because that's an impossible, because what you're dreaming about is only what you think about. And you can only think about possible things, so therefore you can only visualize possible things. So something that a person can never imagine, they will never visualize. Even for many years, even before before Freud came about with his idea about interpreting dreams, our sages told us that dreams are mainly an expression of a person's fears that they have throughout the day, or a person's thoughts that they have throughout the day. And therefore, if a person continues to think about or be fearful about something throughout the day, at night they will not be able to sleep because they're dreaming. So what a dream is, technically speaking, is something that the heart desires, something that you're thinking about, you're anxious about, you're worried about, is what you're going to dream about. In fact, there are some psychologists that want to explain. In Hebrew, the word for dream is chalom. The word for window is chalon. Same exact word, just changing the mem for a nun. It's a window. Saying that a dream is a window into what you're thinking about. A window into what you're feeling about. A window into what you were busy with that day. That's what a dream is basically. So what is it really? Even more so, the Talmud wants to prove that a dream means nothing. 
by a story that the Talmud tells us about a great Talmudic scholar by the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya is brought in many different places that he would debate the Athens scholars. And he would also come many times to the Caesar of Rome that he would have to talk to him to petition for the well-being of the Jewish people. And one time the Caesar asked Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya and said, you're a very brilliant Jewish people. If you're that brilliant, I want you to tell me what I'm going to dream about at night. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya told him as follows. He says, tonight you're going to dream about how the Persians, who was his nemesis, your enemies, your sworn enemies, are going to capture you. Not only are they going to capture you, but they're going to feed you to the wolves. They're going to feed you to be the one to take care of all, to shepherd a bunch of pigs. You can imagine the Caesar was thinking about this all day. He was petrified. He was thinking of it. And you can imagine that, of course, he dreamt about it by night. What was Rabbi Shua ben Hananya proving to him? If I tell you something treacherous, something scary, something painful, what are you going to do? You're going to think about it all day. And ultimately, you're going to dream about it at night. And for that, we can see that very clearly as well as in the book of Daniel. Daniel tells the king Nebuchadnezzar at the time, he says, you, the king, your thoughts that you have when you're sleeping are useless. Basically, he tells him, don't worry about it by day, you won't think about it on by night. You won't dream about it by night. Or you can tell a person and say, listen here, tell me what your dreams are, and I'll tell you what you were thinking about by day. I'll tell you who you're really about. So we're left with seemingly two contradictory opinions. On one opinion we have dreams are useful, they're telling you messages from God, they're telling you spiritual connotations of how you should behave, but on the other hand we see that dreams are completely nonsense. So which one is it? How do we put the two together? And by analyzing another piece of the Talmud, we can see very clearly what the Talmud tells us. And the Talmud says, in the Cheractate of Brachot, the Talmud says, Rava asks, by Moses it says that God said I spoke to him in a dream. By Zechariah it says, and his dreams were false. Which one is it? So are dreams something or are dreams nothing? And the Talmud responds, it depends who's giving the dream. There's a dream that comes through an angel, which is nonsense, which is true, which is coming from God. And then there's dreams that come through demons, which are nonsense, come through false angels. Meaning that their dreams can come from two places. A dream can come from a place of holiness and telling you your subconscious, your spiritual message that you have to take. But at the same time, there can be a dream which is full of nonsense. It depends who's having the dream. Many times the Rebbe responded to different people that if it's a holy person who his day is involved in purity and holiness, then the dream that he's thinking about is also a spiritual pure dream that's coming to him, a level and a message of holiness. But if it's a person who his entire day is involved with nonsense, then his dream also comes from a level of nonsense. And that's why we have according to, besides in a few cases, exceptions, for example, by Avimelech, Nebuchadnezzar, and other cases that we find that the Torah clearly tells us that this dream was given to this individual even though they were an Anjou, and even though they were an evil person in their character, that God wanted them to have a specific message, and therefore the dream came to them in that message. But in other exceptions, usually, as the Code of Jewish Law tells us, that a dream doesn't make you better, doesn't make it worse, it is what it is, and it just moves on. And therefore, according to Jewish Law, it is best that a person should just distract himself from the dream, not pay any attention to it, and therefore the dream has no consequence whatsoever when it comes to making any decision in how a person should act. As well as the Rebbe writes this in many letters to people where they ask them that they had bad dreams and whatever it may be, 
The Rebbe told him not to pay attention to it as well, and he says that a dream that has no consequence on an individual does not change the individual, does not make a difference to who the person is, unless they decide that they can use it for a way and a method to be able to achieve something because of it, but the actual dream itself is nothing of consequence that they have to be concerned about. Which brings us back to our question then, what then was Joseph's purpose in telling the dreams to his brothers? If a dream has no consequence, and even if you want to say the dream depends on who's the person that the dreamer is, what was the consequence, what was the purpose, what was the reason of Joseph to tell the dreams to his brothers? There's a story told that uh, when they were building the synagogue for the third Chabad Rebbe, they were, the Rebbe asked the Hasidim at the time if he should say a Hasidic discourse or if he should tell them a story. And they realized that this was an opportune time for the Rebbe to tell them a story. So he said, we want to hear a story. And the Tzamech Tzedek said the following story. The Tzamech Tzedek said there was once a Jew who was very poor, who rented an inn from a very wealthy Jew. And he had to pay this wealthy Jew, his name was Rabbi Yankiv, to pay this wealthy Jew money for the rent every single month. Unfortunately, this poor individual was so impoverished, didn't make any money, and he was not able to pay the rent. The Jew came, Rabbi Yankiv came, and said, if you don't pay the rent, they're going to have to evict you. What did this Jew do, this poor man do? He knew that Rabbi Yankiv was a chassid, was a follower of the holy tzaddik of Ruzhin. The tzaddik of Ruzhin, Rabbi Yisrael Ruzhin, was a student of the Magad of Mizrich, a great chassidic master. And he decided he's going to go to his Rebbe, to this rich guy's Rebbe, and petition him and ask him that he should allow him to speak to his follower and that he should you know, give him some relief. So the Ruzhina was very uh, amused or very upset by the fact that he was going to evict another Jew and he spoke to his follower and he let him go and he, he canceled the rent on him. And he let him stay there. The following year the same thing happens and the poor Jew didn't pay his rent. Again he runs to the Ruzhina and the Ruzhina tells his chassid please let him go and he lets him go. Finally the third year of Yaakov says listen three years you haven't paid the rent I can't take it anymore and he evicted the guy. He had no choice. This fellow, Rabbi Yaakov, passes away, comes on high, and the, and, the, and the tribunal, the heavenly tribunal on high says, what are we going to do here? You evicted a Jewish family, you put them out on the street with no place to stay, you're not going into, we, you, you, we don't find any favor for you here. But he says, that's not fair. For two years, I let them stay. For three years, the third year, I couldn't anymore, I had to let them go. They said, sorry, too bad. You kicked them out after the third year, we're not having any mercy on you. Rabbi Yaakov's angels protest and say, it's not fair. Who do you know? He says, how can the heavenly tribunal judge me about this? They don't know what money means. They don't know what it means to pay rent. They don't want to know what it means to get rent. That's not fair for them to judge. So they said, you know what? The angels won't judge. We'll bring people who will live on this world, that they should be able to judge. So they brought the two commentators on Jewish law that they should be able to judge in the heavenly tribunal. The angels protest and say, that's not fair. They live a thousand years before the story happened. How can they judge a story about what's happening now? What money was then is not the same way money is now. You have to judge somebody who's currently in this physical world. And the Tzemach Tzedek includes the story and he says, and with this they brought the story, the case to me as I am here in this world, to judge, to see if Rabbi Yaakov is innocent or guilty. And the Tzemach Tzedek says, I am but only one. 
I need a Bezdin, I need a rabbinic tribunal to agree with me. Because I say that Rabbi Yaakov is innocent and he should be allowed into heaven. The Hasidim that were around understood that the Tzamech Tzedek is asking them to join in his rabbinic tribunal. And they all said, innocent, innocent, and he should be able to go into the heaven. Fascinating story. What do we see from here? What was the heavenly tribunal waiting for? For somebody to announce clearly what would be the decision. The Talmud explains that when it comes to dreams, dreams are dependent on how it's interpreted. Meaning, the dreams get sustenance, energy, based on how the person expresses himself and talks about it. When a person interprets the dream when he wakes up, that's what the dream depends on. And for that reason, if a person pays no attention to it, the dream has no meaning to it. But when a person talks about it, they materialize the dream. They bring the dream into fruition. And they take something that was in the abstract, and they bring it into something which is in the, in, into actuality. And for that reason, the Talmud and the Code of Jewish Law say, that if a person is worried about a dream, he should go over to somebody... Somebody should, he should tell the dream to somebody and that person should interpret the dream in the most positive, best way possible. This way, the dream will come out positive. The Talmud says in the tractate of Brachas, dreams go according to the person's interpretation and therefore a dream that is not terp- interpreted will not be read, is not done. The same idea is brought in Jewish law that a person should make the dream something positive, good, and thereby go to people who like him and tell him his dream, so they will find the good in the dream. There is, even if you're looking back at the Sadurim and some of the prayer books, there it says, Seder Hatovas Cholim, there's an actual prayer that you can say in front of three people to make your dream good, and at the end the three people respond to him, in Aramaic it is, Chalma Tova Chazis, you saw a good dream, you had a good dream, and they make the dream good. What does it mean they make the dream good? Because the dream can be whatever it may be, but it depends on the interpretation how the dream should be. Now let's go back to our story. Let's go back to what Yosef was telling his brothers. Now it all makes sense. Why did Yosef come along to his brothers and tell them his dream? Yosef has a dream. He sees in the dream that he will be the ruler over his brothers. He's disturbed by it. Why is he disturbed by it? Because he knows his brothers don't get along with him. He knows his brothers have a problem with him already being special. Now all of a sudden he has a dream that he's going to be the ruler. He's out of his mind. What's he going to do? What does Joseph do? Exactly what Code of Jewish Law says. Goes to his brothers and say, Brothers, this is what I dreamt. Explain it to me. Interpret it to me. Make it something that it works for you. But what did the brothers do instead? Ah, you want, to be, you want to be king over us. You're going to be ruler over us. Who's the one that interpreted that he's going to be ruler? They did. They were the ones that said he's going to be the ruler. He didn't ask them. They could have given the dream a completely different interpretation. But they chose to take this as a sign that he will be the ruler. Now we understand also Jacob's interpretation. At first, what does Jacob do? He dismisses it. What are you supposed to do about a dream? Dismiss it. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's nothing. Because the moment he interprets it, it gives it validity. But once the brothers already gave it validity, once the brothers already said, you're going to be a ruler over us, what does Yaakov do? Yaakov says, ah, 
This dream has now validity. This dream has a backbone to it. This dream has some substance to it. It's not anymore in the abstract. Let me mark down this date. Why? Because I know that the Jewish people have to go down into Egypt because that was promised to Abraham. I now know that my children will go to Egypt not in chains, but in respect, in honor, in dignity. Because Joseph's going to be a king someplace. And if he's going to be a king someplace, I don't know what we are weighing in, but there's going to be dignity here someplace. And therefore he marked down this time. So when Joseph was over here saying, what Joseph was telling over here, the brothers, I have a dream. And not only that I have a dream, he comes to them with another dream. What he's basically doing, he's asking them, please interpret the dream that it should work. But they continue to interpret the dream in a way for Joseph's benefit, so to speak. Saying that Joseph is going to be the leader. And therefore, Yaakov, even after dismissing the dream in front of his children, he himself under doom, that in order to de- not to create more jealousy, he marked it down for himself. He didn't want to tell the children because he knew it's going to happen. And therefore he said, look what you guys did, you're making it worse for yourself. He didn't want to intervene because he sees already it's creating animosity. But at the same time, they gave it substance to something that was in the abstract. What we learn from over here is something very fascinating. The idea about a dream only gets validity when we talk about it and we start making interpretations for it. And for that reason, if a person has a bad dream, we find many times the Rebbe explained to them and told them, check your mezuzahs, check your tefillin, because what you're doing is you're creating a negative atmosphere because of it. If you interpret the dream as something bad, then you've got to look and say, what does this mean to me? How do I go and correct myself? What do I need to do? But at the same time, you can also go to friends and tell them, make this dream a good dream. How are you going to find the good in this? We need to find the good even in a dream. We need to see the good in every single person. We need to be able to see that what a dream is, that when somebody is dreaming something, find the good, interpret the good, because who makes it a reality? You, the individual, make it a reality when you speak about it. This is what we talk about as well. A story told the Mittler Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe, once has a story he told his father, the Alter Rebbe, about a dream that was bothering him. And the dream was that he saw the Alter Rebbe and the Magad of Midrich's, his teacher, standing at the, at the edge of a water. And the Magad of Midrich took a piece of wood and went on it, but the, but the wood wasn't floating so well. The Alter Rebbe took a piece of wood and it floated properly across the water. And it bothered him. And why did the dream bother him? Because it seemed like from the dream that the Alter Rebbe was greater than his teacher, the Magad of Midrich. And the Alter Rebbe explained to him and told him, yes, on one hand, you have the Magad of Mizrich, he was the teacher, he was greater, but then sometimes a student can even reach a level like a Baal penitent can be even higher than a Tzaddik. What we see over here is that the ability that we can transform something, and sometimes it is even greater to transform something than if something is initially positive. That means if somebody had a negative attitude, or a negative dream, a negative outlook, a, neg- a negative perception, and we are able to take the negativity and transform it into something positive, that's the greatest accomplishment that we can do. The teachings of this week's Torah reading. The brothers saw a dream. They had an opportunity, instead of creating more animosity, to be able to translate the dream and interpret the dream into something positive. Joseph is a tzaddik because he was looking to bring out the good in every individual. He looked that the brothers should also interpret this dream for their best. But unfortunately they didn't. And therefore Yaakov wrote down that time, looking forward to this great accomplishment. We too, entire exile is called a dream. In the entire time that the Jewish people are suffering in exile is a dream. 
But we also have to take the dream and interpret it for something positive, meaning we have to utilize the time while we're here to take the negativity of the exile and make it into a positive experience. And only then can we merit the coming of Mashiach.